It's showtime. Okay, Tokyo, South America, Australia, France, Germany, UK, Africa. Here we go. Head on with Bob Kincaid. Three hours of conversation, cussing, and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. Here we go, off and running on this final day of February. Yay! The 28th day of February, 2023. This is the Horn. Head on dot live is where you'll find us on the interweb tubes. That's where you go if you'd like to be part of the merry, wacky, zany, real-time, madcap, multimedia extravaganza. That is the Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all time zones in between, and the Great Globe Round, and where if you are listening live and you pop in right this very instant you'll be greeted by early arrivers to the program and to the chat room namely uh oh come on this is weird this is new Your connection isn't private. Yeah, I get that. How strange. What in the hell's going on? I hate it when this happens. Uh, I'm sorry, but here, let's just... So I was headed for the chat room, and I went to refresh it. I heard the popping noise. That means that I've got to turn off the uh, sound effects because they just uh, default to being on. And lo and behold, it, I get a message that says, not secure. Uh, thanks, Brother Deacon Asa. Brother Deacon Asa says, I see that. I'll get after it. Appreciate it. Well, uh, anyway, the early arrivers will be happy to greet you in the chat room as soon as that gets cleared up, whatever that is. But um, nonetheless, a merry time is had by all. And, of course, if you're listening at some other time, um, you know, to the podcast, the standard request applies. Please uh, mash the hell out of that like button and uh, subscribe to the podcast, whether it's on Stitcher or Podbean or uh, Apple Podcasts or 
TuneIn. And over at TuneIn, if you'd hit, if you're listening on TuneIn, if you'd hit the like button there, the little heart button, that would help. And please feel free to leave a comment. We do love the comments here. Uh, we're, we're all about the comments here. So um, that's that story. And, of course, being the final day of the month, we do, in fact, say thank you to our Patreon subscribers. And that means, because remember, Patreon subscriptions come out on the first of the month. And, Lord, it would be great to have more Patreon subscribers. It would be great to have more PayPal subscribers. Every month there's a new subscriber bonus from our buddy Zed out in Iowa. Uh, to, to, to the effect that your first month's subscription gets doubled up to, uh, you know, five, ten dollar a month subscriptions at ten bucks a piece. And it would be wonderful. Uh, so uh, thank you to our Patreon subscribers. That means thank you, Randy Radar, and thank you to Christopher. Thank you to uh, Dave and the Blind. Thank you, Troy, my friend. Thank you, Janice. Thank you to David in uh, up in Oregon. And now on semester number two of his first year of law school. Thank you to Eve and thank you to uh, thank you to Jake. Thank you, Nancy, and thank you, Bernadette. Hope the power is finally being consistent where you are. Thank you to Michael of the Guffins. Thank you to Baltimore Bob. Thank you to Jeff and Slow. Thanks, Kay. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you to James and thank you to Aaron. Thank you to Annette and Joanne. Thank you, Lori, Lori, and thank you, Joyce. Thank you, Vernon in San Diego. Thank you to Kat in Ohio. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you to KW. Thanks, Barb. Thanks, Horst in Taiwan. Thank you to Robin, another Robin. Thank you, Robin. Thank you to Terrace out in California. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa. And thank you to Jeremy. Thank you so very much indeed for being partial sponsors of the program. And thanks as well, of course, uh, since it is February, the last day thereof, uh, you know, usually with most of our uh, PayPal subscriptions, what happens is because the month extends past the 28th, that means that we don't have any PayPal subscribers to thank on the 20th, 30th, 31st. But in this case, we do because it's the 28th. Stand by. Well, early spring, the sneezing, it begins or continues, however we look at it. Uh, but at any rate, thank you to our 28th day of the month subscribers. Thank you to Sharon. Thank you to Dave in the Blind. Thank you to Charlene in Rogues Island. Thank you all, like I said, for being partial sponsors of this uh, little attempt at long-running, nearly two decades, conversation radio. It really is a, rather of a miracle that we have managed to stay on the air as long as we have. And it's inspiring. And you're the ones doing the inspiring. Thank you. Oh, hi. I'm Robin. And it turns out that the final day of February just happens to fall on a Titanic Tuesday in which we take note of Titanic manifestations of right-wing intellect in this country. Full speed ahead at that there iceberg, you know. 
Steve, how come you reckon it is that there is seashells in the rocks in West Virginia? We ain't no we ain't nowhere near the beach. Well, caller, that's because of the movement of the Titanic plates. Yeah, he sounded a little like Count Dicula there, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, Titanic plates. Titanic plates, Titanic soup bowls, Titanic, uh, ti- d- 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 t- Titanic uh, uh, gravy boats. Would have been better off with more life rafts than gravy boats, but that's just not how it played. And so we will, uh, you know, we there are unfortunately way too many manifestations of titanic intellect uh, here in Merca in the early years of, of the third decade of the 21st century, and we're here, we're here to talk about it. Okay. Let's just jump right to it, shall we? From the Department of... Really? So in in the House of Representatives... And I... You know, I, I learned something I never really wanted to know. I saw several photographs, and it's, it's not because of any particular hang-up on my part. I promise this was entirely accidental. I had no idea that one of the nicknames for Marginal Trailer Queen was Sporkfoot. But it is. Oh my. I've told on a couple of occasions the story of the guest actor many years ago in acting school, production of The Tempest. Guy showed up, we didn't know he was friend Bill W., and apparently he had decided not to be because he was far from home, being in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he showed up at a cast party after the production run and proceeded to harass the young women of the cast, sitting down next to one of them, loaded out of his mind and staring sort of intently at her, kind of cross-eyed, though, because, you know, he was wasted and you know, you have lovely feet. Well, nobody's ever going to say that to Marginal Trailer Queen, but that's not the point here. I'm going to try to stay away from that point, as a matter of fact. No. Uh, over in the House of Representing on Monday... In a rare show of what is referred to as bipartisanship, there was a vote on something that really didn't, I mean, it was strictly ceremonial in nature. It was just a statement of Morning. It was a House resolution expressing the grief of the House at the truly horrifying loss of life in the earthquake that took place back on February 6th in 
Turkey and Syria. And it says something that once you tallied up the absences and everything, that there were 412 members of the House of Representatives who voted yay on the idea that they were moved to grief and mourning by the innocent, by, by, by the loss of innocent lives in that horrifying series of earthquakes. We've all seen the news. We've seen the footage. Disaster coverage is kind of weird because once you get past Dear God, this is awful. There's not a hell of a lot else to report. But that was enough. And horrifyingly, over the course of days and weeks, we came to the realization that some 50,000 human beings over a relatively small area of this little blue-green marble hurtling in its helical path through both the solar system and the galaxy and the cosmos generally, had lost their lives. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And so it would seem fitting that the House of Representatives would vote its expression of grief. We are, of course, as a nation, providing relief aid as we are able to that uh, to that devastated corner of the planet. But oh no, 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 not the Christian marginal trailer queen, Sporkfoot. Um, she and Thomas Massey of Kentucky Stan were the two lone no votes. On the floor of the House on Monday, uh, none other than Representative Joe, whose name isn't really Joe, Uli Wilson, the guy who more or less kicked off the shenanigans in the House, or, or the tradition of right-wing shenanigans in the House during a State of the Union address, yelling, you lie, at President Obama years ago. Joe, not his real name, you lie, Wilson, said, American families' prayers and sincere condolences go to the people of Turkey and Syria. To the brutal Assad regime and its backers, war criminal Putin, the authoritarian Ayatollah in Iran, there will be a message. Your diversion of humanitarian aid during an earthquake is despicable. He then added, apparently overly optimistically, the U.S. Congress stands united. We will never normalize with you. We will hold all those who attempt to normalize with you accountable, and we will not stop supporting the people of Syria to have a government 
They deserve based on democracy with rule of law, not authoritarians with rule of good. Uh, Joe, not his real name, Uli Wilson, was actually the sponsor of the resolution. Funny how you could take his language there uh, and apply it to his home state. Or, you know, Tennistan. Or Kentuckystan. Or Alabama, or Mississippi, Stan, etc., etc., etc. You know, to the uh, to have a government they deserve based on democracy with rule of law, not authoritarians with rule of gun. Oddly enough, that's how government works in places like South Carolina, Stan, and the other uh, the other little uh, petty dictatorial fiefdoms I just mentioned. And uh, along the way, the, they condemned Bashar al-Assad and his efforts to cynically exploit the disaster to evade international pressure and accountability tie. Well, enter Thomas Massey and Marginal Trailer Queen. Thomas Massey and the, the, the weird people who send him to Congress from Kentucky stand apparently think that the proper role of government is to say to just about every issue, no, fuck off. There's our first F-bomb 18 minutes into the program. So he voted, like I said, he voted against this expression of grief. And then there was Marginal Trailer Queen, who wants a national divorce. Well, she doesn't talk like that. She ran off to the Twitters, because Twitter is owned by Napoleon Bonapartide. Elno Muskrat. And said, temperature of America. Americans do not support the war in Ukraine at all. It's the at all that makes it art. And are very turned, very turned off. You know, because that's so much more forceful than just turned off. With Washington for funding and pushing the war, we want peace. And America support a national divorce into red states and blue states with a small, limited federal government. Whew. And she lives in a purple state. Oh, well. But she, too, voted against expressing grief over the loss of life in Turkien, Syria. Out of 212 Democrats, 12 didn't vote. Out of 204, uh, there were, uh, there were uh, um, 222 uh, maggots, 214 said yay, two, two no, voted no. So it was, in fact, 414 to 2 with 18 non-voters. And you just have to wonder, again, we're back to it again, what in the hell is wrong with the people in their congressional districts? 
I mean, it, 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 couldn't you it, couldn't you have sent a I don't know a hunk of an old holler tree to Congress? It or or better yet, a stopped clock because that stopped clock would at least be right twice a day. But no, no, no. And I do find it interesting that she's still pushing national divorce, which is treasonous to the Constitution of the United States of America. And, of course, nobody will do anything about it. And by nobody, I mean nobody with any power to do anything about it, by which I mean <sighs> the weaker speaker, Kevers McCarthy, nor Steve Scalise, the man who is too stupid to understand that people don't need semi-automatic assault rifles, even though he was almost sent to his long home by a guy using a semi-automatic firearm. Nope, Steve Scalise is too dumb to figure that out. So, uh, here we are. Uh, Flavio pointing out the death toll in those earthquakes approach, if not surpass, that of the Great Lisbon earthquake of 1755. Estimates place the death toll in Lisbon between 12,000 and 50,000 people, making it one of the deadliest earthquakes in history. That earthquake and subsequent death toll horrified Europe. That's the earthquake that inspired Voltaire to write Candide and question the Leibnizian view of the world that all is well in the best of all possible worlds. Emphasis on the word possible. I've read a trans translation of Candide. And Voltaire was uh, feeling a bit snarky, I think, safe to say. But that's a starting place, don't you think? And, and, and a darn fine one. I mean, my God, 50,000 people. That's bigger than just about all but three cities in West Virginia. Somewhere thereabouts. That's bigger than the town I grew up in. Imagine, you know, everybody's dead. The, the the horror should be shocking to the conscience. And, of course, a lot of people died because a lot of people cut corners in building living spaces for the region, which is prone to earthquakes. The whole area. You know, I should probably get Miss Terry on here to talk about uh, the seismic activity and the geology of that region. Uh, not green about divorce. Lee in New York says, at least she has personal experience about divorce. <laughs> Steve in New York said, yeah, please don't tell me this is something about, yeah, but they're Muslims. I'm sure it has everything to do with, yeah, but they're Muslims. 
and of course, remember uh, Marginal Trailer Queen and Thomas Massey are pro-life. Mm-hmm. Pro-life. Then, just to bring it back from an international focus back home to home for me at least to almost level west by coal Manchinistan you know Gene I don't know um, let me let me check and see if I've got a, mass, a message something odd going on over at the website um, okay, thank you, Brother Deacon A. So refresh, it should be all better now. Ah, there we are. Yes, much better now. So, uh, hey to the chat room. Hey, Irish Dave in New Jersey, Nick and Squeaky and Theo. Uh, thanks for popping by. And uh, thanks to Roger in Oregon, Horn Chief Agronomist and uh, chief mathematician and Bud Trimmer emeritus. Thanks for uh, thanks for moderating this evening. That certainly was strange. And thanks again to Brother Deacon Asa for getting that sorted out. No, but I said we'd bring it back home to West Virginia for a moment. We talked some yesterday about West Virginia's very own little Religious Freedom Restoration Act which is nothing but a cheap excuse for bigotry. And so let me introduce you to a West Virginia member of the legislature from Randolph County, the county seat of which is Elkins, West Virginia. Beautiful, beautiful area of a beautiful state. But whose peoples, uh, whose voting populace saw fit to Send a jackass to Charleston by the name of Ty Nestor. N-E-S-T-O-R, Nestor. Represents the 66th district in the house. Well, apparently Ty Nestor had some things to say later on Friday after I was gone from the place. Had some things to say about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And um, in the course of which, made some unkind remarks about a member of the American Civil Liberties Union of West Virginia. Uh, a nice guy, I've met him, named Kyle Vass. And Vass called him out on what he had heard was said and rang him up. And Ty Nestor, speaking to Kyle Vass, said, Queer? 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 I'm going to end you, you fucking fag. You fucking queer. To which Kyle Vass replied, Whoa, man. Ty, what did I do that's got you this mad? I'm going to kick your ass, you fucking queer. This, by the way, as I said, is a member of the West Virginia House of Delegates. This, by the way, 
is a good God-fearing, upstanding, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, evangelical, fundamentalist, amosexual, Christian, again, Republican. It, to be fair, when he was later asked about why he would say something so vicious, so hateful, so vituperative, he said, Well, I feel kind of bad about it. Uh, actually, I was, I was drinking at the time. Well, haven't haven't seen a, an iteration of the Mel Gibson defense in the wild in a while, but uh, I wouldn't have said that if I'd been sober. Might have had my filters on. Nah, I just made that part up. And for what it's worth, uh, the guy he was yelling all that out at is. Unlike some members of the Republican majority in the House of Delegates, straight. But there was a teachable aspect to it. Because Kyle Vass went on to describe how that made him feel. Hint, not good. And he posted an entire thread about his his experience. He said today when we spoke, he said he'd been drinking, didn't remember the conversation, and was deeply sorry. But like I told him, I feel a sense of duty to share what happened. Can I just point something out here, and maybe uh, some folks who have had some experience with booze might want to share their thoughts in this, email, call, whatever. But the fact that Ty Nestor, this good God-fearing, upstanding, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, evangelical, fundamentalist, homosexual Republican, used an excuse, I don't remember it because I was drunk as shit. Which is me paraphrasing him. I don't remember, I was drinking. Um, Ty, buddy, when you're so torched, that you don't remember screaming queer at someone and threatening to end their life. Buddy, it might be time to find out the name of that that little facility that probably one of your heroes, Rush Limbaugh, went to, where he talked to the horses for about six weeks and allegedly got off, well, in the case of Flush Flimball, America's truth detector, my friends, with half my brain tied behind my... Give me another one of those handful of pills. Um, it may, maybe, maybe it might be time... I, I know it must be stressful, terribly, terribly stressful, being a member of an 88 to 12 supermajority in the House of Delegates where you can do just about anything you want to with no regard whatsoever for something even as simple as human decency... Um, you might no, you 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 might want to think about trying to 
deal with what looks like a problem. But Kyle Vass, on the other hand, handled it with grace and aplomb. He shared Ty Nestor's actual no-kidding words. But he also said, I'd like to preface this by saying reporters get excited when they find out something scandalous. This ain't it. Being slurred, even when you're not a member of that community, fucking hurts. This experience has left me feeling hurt and angry on behalf of LGBTQ plus people. Last Friday, a friend was out in the same bar as Delicate, Delegate Ty Nestor. I can only wonder which bar it was. And called me up to tell me Nestor was trash-talking me. The friend and I laughed, and assuming that at most it would be some light trading of barbs, I spoke with Nestor directly, which, of course, resulted in what I've already shared with you. Trash-talking. And he goes on to say, I had to hear this on the drive home. Mere hours after covering a public hearing on a House bill that would give business owners the right to discriminate against LGBTQ plus folks. In the moment, I was gobsmacked. But when I woke up the next day, I felt deeply upset. Upset that LGBTQ plus folks here have to live in fear of being called dehumanizing slurs, denied service and access to basic health care. Upset that someone just doing their damn job could draw such vitriol. Notice that it's the good God-fearing, etc. Republican who smashed out of his brains and screaming vituperations at a guy who works for the ACLU, a bunch of goddamn communists. Funny how that always happens. Being honest... Kyle Vass continued. I'm glad Nestor agreed to chat of the record today, off the record today. For what it's worth, he seemed shocked that he'd said those angry things and very remorseful. My suggestion, apologize, of course, but do something as a lawmaker or businessman to show you give a damn about LGBTQ plus people. Something in me thinks that's not going to happen. And you know what else isn't going to happen? The Speaker of the West Virginia House is not going to remove him from any committees or allow him to be censured because when you've got a bully boy majority, well, boys are just going to be boys, aren't they? Isn't that what Nitwit Nero said when he got caught talking about grabbing women by the pussy? It's just lack of room talk. That's just, I didn't mean to, it's just locker room talk. Sometimes you have to take a tic-tac or something so that your breath will be fresh, because sometimes you just have to kiss people spontaneously against their will. And they're damn sure not going to re- withdraw their, uh, their act of bigotry. Oh, hell no. No, please. Let's not be silly. 
so whether it's marginal trailer queen being awful in the House of Representatives of the, in the, of the United States or uh, a, a pissant from Randolph County, i got to find out what bar they're going to. Because I talked to Kyle uh, when, I, when, I, when I got there on Friday. Hey, how you doing? Hey, glad you're here. Yeah. Nice guy. Damn sure didn't deserve any of what he was given. But again, whether it's marginal trailer queen uh, screaming treason about the word, well, we all know why she keeps saying national divorce. She can spell national because she is a Christian nationalist, otherwise known as a fascist. And she can tell spell divorce because, well, she's had or having one. And we all know what 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 comedy would ensue if she used the actual word that she was talking about. Secession. No Andrew Jackson fan, but I do I do, I do love that story about him saying uh, back in the late 1820s or thereabouts that uh, if he heard any more talk about secession out of South Carolina, he would get on his horse and ride down there and start hanging secessionists until he had run out of secessionists to hang. wonder if anybody's ever told Marginal Trailer Queen that story. Because I'm sure she's probably an Andrew Jackson fan, being as how she despises anybody that isn't uh, absolutely as pasty-faced and doughy and white as she is. But let's go on from there to another story that I've seen catching some press. And frankly, uh, this one's inspiring. It's the story, it's a story coming out of, uh, of Nebraska, Stan, whose unicameral legislature the only one in the country, by the way, has 32 Republican members and 17 Democratic members, meaning that, well, for the most part, the Republicans can do as they wish. Except maybe not. In the, in the Nebraska legislature... They have, of course, done the bidding of their masters. We talked last night about the old RCA Victor label and then his master's voice. So they want people to be able to carry uh, freedom protectors in their pockets, out of view, concealed even, without a permit. You know, as long as you've got the money to buy the shooting iron, you can carry it anywhere you want to go because, well, that's what the National Ruble, I mean, Rifle Association, the most well-funded domestic terrorist organization in the United States, wants. Everybody pointing guns at everybody. Once they finally get their way, it's going to be a terrifying America. 
We're going to need we're going to need to figure out some way to get from the east coast to the west coast, and I don't mean flying, without going through some concealed carry state. But it's not just the concealed. No, they got a fetal heartbeat bill. Yeah, you know, for the poor precious little fetuses that has heartbeats at six weeks. You know, when the fetus looks like a piece of soggy popcorn and doesn't have a heart. And, of course, it, the, the, the Republican laundry list of hate and, vi- and, and violence wouldn't be complete if they uh, didn't have a trans medical ban in place. Enter a hero. Enter Michaela Kavanaugh. She's a Democrat from Omaha, Nebraska. As close to civilization you can get and still be in Nebraska, Stan. Interesting sound effect. who has done something that may very well have irritated the living bejesus out of the Republican majority in Nebraska. She said she, in fact, is, well, to put it, to paraphrase it somewhat bluntly, Michaela Kavanaugh is going to fuck shit up. And she said it in public. And this may be one of the most profound displays of political courage in the last decade or so in this country, on either a state or a national level. This is good. This is really good. Just makes you want to kind of stand up and salute Michaela Kavanaugh for the badass boss woman she is. You can decide, you can talk to the speaker, and you can say, listen, LB 547 is the priority of this legislature, or it's not. But if this legislature collectively decides that legislating hate against children is our priority, then I am going to make it painful, painful for everyone. Because if you want to inflict pain upon our children... Going to inflict pain upon this body, and I have nothing, nothing but time, and I am going to use all of it. If people think that they're going to wear me down, if yesterday didn't show you that you can't wear me down, you cannot wear me down. I literally left the floor yesterday, went up to my office, and laid down on the floor. I laid down on the floor, hard floor, and took a 20-minute nap before going to committee hearings. You cannot stop me. I will not be stopped. So, if LB 574 gets an early floor debate and moves forward, it will be very painful for this body. Don't you love her? Did you get a tingle? 
seeing a dem hearing a Democrat talk with that kind of force and that kind of conviction. I think she means it. Uh, the the hip young kids would say that that is based, and I agree. And I love that line. If people are like, is she threatening us? Let me be clear. Yes, I am. I'm threatening you. All the other Republican fetish objects go nowhere as long as Michaela Kavanaugh is in the Nebraska legislature. How much do you... How much do you, do, you, do you love her? I mean, I'm a fangirl. I, I'm, I'm just sold, sold out. She's going to leave nothing on the field. She reminds me of that clip. Something, because everything always reminds me of a clip. Uh, I'm thinking in particular of one of my favorite films, Princess Bride. And Wesley's speech to uh, Prince Prince Humperdinck. Because it gave me the same the same sense of pride and oh my god determination and will well it's kind of Nietzschean to say, but will to power. To the death. No. To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing, will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish, wallowing in freakish misery forever. I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. 
I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. Then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. Time up. Make it as tight as you like. Oh! Where's the Fessick? I thought he was with you. No. In that case, help him. Why does Wesley need helping? Because he has no strength. I knew it. I knew you were bluffing. I knew he was bluffing. The only thing is, Michaela Cavanaugh ain't bluffing. Honestly, as bold and brave as she is, I hope she stays safe. Because these are some violent, dangerous assholes. You know, kind of like Ty Nestor back here in London. Oh, and you! Well, they're in Nebraska. They're going to have to deal with her for at least two more years. Because the folks in Omaha sent her there to do exactly what she's doing. And it makes me wonder, again, because I'm not that familiar with legislative procedure in Nebraska, Stan, and and it is the only unicameral legislature, but it makes me wonder if other Democrats in other states might, working within the rules of their legislatures, be able to do something similarly bold and brave. You know, if they... Uh, cared enough. I don't know. Oh. Uh, scary Jerry. Uh, but could a fuck a Nazi, though? I purposely put that in there to keep it real and provocative. I hope this, because I might start to go to church again, Mostly because of lonely reasons and community reasons and on a wild thought frenzy. What if you went to church and Rhonda Santis was there? You know, the drag queen, Rhonda Santis. Not Ron himself. Yeah, some young or old lass dressed in her Sunday Saturday best could bang a Nazi. Hmm. One of the reasons I know I'm getting healthier and scarier is because I saw one frame and thought, hmm, that's 50K to start. I just thought about the disaster rule of 10X. 500K, it was 3 a.m. in the morning. Those people were tucked in their beds. Autocrats lie. I was going to go on Ron, going to go on Ron, but nah, no time for rage. I'd rather buy weed from Roger, seriously. Roger's not in the business, scary Jerry. Better him than some rando in the dark net. Shit, we're the horn hippie superpowers of our mantle, creed and mission. 
Just made some gourmet popcorn food porn. Uh, shout out to you and Connie Bloom, high school English teacher, popcorn and dune aficionado. Also, Marjorie, you get the fuck out. We're fine. You go, really. We insist. We want to see to secede from you. Your animatronic Chuck E. Cheese alligator face, MTG, MTG is MGT, motorized gator talking. We have some high-quality, top-notch free, uh, free associating going on here this evening. It's time for us liberals to be forceful, not losing this country sitting on my hands. More laters. Uh, regarding Michaela Kavanaugh. No, can't fuck a Nazi. Lib girls make me swoon. <laughs> now, now. But I understand. Uh, badass women are terribly inspiring. Flavio says she's a force of nature. You wish there were more Democrats like her. I'm definitely sold, and she's just been reelected too, so she's not going anywhere. And she reminds me, among others, uh, oh, who's the state senator in Michigan who may be going after Debbie Stabenow's seat? She's the one who uh, was called by one of her colleagues in the Michigan State House a groomer and didn't take it lying down, lying down and gave back every bit as good as she got and then some. Somehow or another, we have to get better at finding those people. But I do love a little inspirational moment. I just do. Uh, going back to just locker room talk, Lee in New York said, here's how phony that is. Imagine Nitwit Nero donning sports gear and getting on the field. Insert maniacal laugh. <laughs> he can't even walk from the golf tee to the golf ball he hit. Well, there's that, and what 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 was this? Yeah, thank you, Darlene. I remember this from a conversation a few a couple of weeks back. Yeah, uh, his uh, his high school sport was bowling. Picture of him with his bowling trophy. Not not denigrating bowling, but it's not quite up there with uh, you know ice hockey. Mm-mm. True, truly true. And we have, and I'm going to have to stand by. Had to retrieve the cowbell nomination, or cowbell itself, because we've got a cowbell nomination from Billable Rick. Cowbell nomination for Scary Jerry, Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Green, Motor MGT, motorized gator talking. I do agree, Billable. Sporkfoot. Don't look it up. Don't. I'm not kidding. And going back to Ty Nestor, some. Uh, Remarks coming in from our dear friend Matt in San Francisco. Subject line, lights out. In my misspent youth, says Matt in San Francisco, I often drank into the blackout phase. 
Not hard to figure out why I've been sober since 1987. Wow. Wait, it's siphon. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 36 years. Congratulations, Matt. Really, seriously, congratulations. That, that gets the cowbell by itself. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Matt says, I often drank into the blackout phase. The next day, I would try to surmise from my friends what exactly I did do last night. I was always worried that I might have tried to hit on a straight guy or something. Sometimes I could piece things back together. Oftentimes, everyone else was just as drunk and couldn't really fill in the blanks either. I never did call anyone any hurtful names at them. Uh, accidentally broke stuff and threw up and lovely stuff like that. I bet that legislator's browser history is full of gay porn. Just saying. Well, it's... I'm... Yeah? But I guess there's a tradition of this in West Virginia. We had a uh, guy in there, in fact, talked about him on this program a couple of years back. Uh, a real piece of work named Keith Porterfield, uh, who was sightless, not born that way. He, while going to Bible college out in Talabandiana, if I recall the story correctly, they went to a strip joint one night, and then on the way out, he got really, really nasty with one of the dancers, and some of her, and and started some shit with some of her friends, and her friends finished it by gouging out his eyes. So, the voters in his district actually got rid of him in the primary. And now it remains to be seen if that level of decency obtains in the 66th Legislative District of West Virginia, namely Randolph County. I don't know, and I wouldn't place a bet. But for all the good that exists in this state, there is still a lot of nasty. And it takes a nasty person to send another nasty... It takes a lot of nasty people to send another nasty person to do their legislative business in Charleston. And that's Ty Nestor. And again, the blackout drunk part is probably as almost as disturbing as the blatant uh, homomesia. I think I'm using the right word. Check, check me on that. Flavio, transmesia, homomesia. I think I'm right. I like to learn, I like to use new words when I learn them. Uh, About these Republicans, Randy Radar says, uh, they like to watch. Indeed. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the Republican majority who need to check their browser histories rather frequently. Without a doubt. 
Oh, thank you, Flavio, serving as the Horn Ad Hoc uh, Badass Michigan State uh, Legislator Research Committee. Mallory McMorrow. Flavio says, I fell in love with her, too. Gives me hope. You know, I, I thought of her, but you know who I thought of first and foremost when I saw the Michaela Cavanaugh clip? I thought of Katie Porter out of Orange County, California, who is now going to give up her House seat in order to run for the Senate seat in California being vacated by DiFi. So far, you have Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, and Barbara Lee. And I have no idea what the polling looks like out there. Any one of the three would be a force to be reckoned with in terms of the Senate. I think I think my heart kind of lies with, with, with Katie Porter on this one. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love, this is just entirely hypothetical, but wouldn't you love to see Katie Porter go to the Senate of the United States and deal with the likes of, well, Rafaelito Eduardo Cruz, the anointed booger-eating future king of America, or Tommy the Tuber, who continuously vies with Marsha 3X Blackburn, uh, for stupidest human being in the Senate of the United States, I can't help but think that that would be um, that would be gratifying to witness. Oh, and from the department of the, from the department of shit hemorrhage hissies nit, nitwit Nero has lately thrown. And by the way, at the top of the hour here, let me again celebrate the fact that we're having, for the first time in a very long time, a fundraising free program. So you don't have to worry about hearing anything about that. That's awesome. So Eddie Mun- uh, uh, Paul Eddie Munster Ryan was talking to WISN-TV up in Wisconsin recently. You might recall that at the 2016 Cleveland uh, GOP convention, you know, the one where you know, one of Pudi's functionaries was a special invited guest. Wonder why. Well, at that at that convention, it was it was Paul Eddie Munster Ryan, Paul Granny Starver Ryan, who, by the way, sits on the board of Fox News TV Radio Rwanda now, and has apparently been absolutely appalled at the behavior of the stars of that network in deliberately advancing Nitwit Nero's bullshit election fraud 2020 stolen election narrative 
when everybody now knows, you know, except Emery and Marveline sitting in there in their matching Barca loungers watching the Fox News TV Radio Rwanda there in the Ballerina Swan Lake Country Club and Trailer Court, that it was all, again, as I said, bullshit. Well, Nitwit Nero is all butthurt and burned up because in that interview, and it was in 2016, Paul Eddie Munster Ryan was the chair of the convention, and he's the one who officially stated that Nitwit Nero was the party's nominee, but now he don't want nothing to do with it. Come 2024, the Republican National Convention in Milwaukee, where will you be? It, uh, it depends on who the nominee is. I'll be here if it's somebody not named Trump. You won't show up if it's not. If yeah, it's I'm not Trump. interested in participating in that, no. Even in Wisconsin. Even Wisconsin. Even Wisconsin. Because that's where the GQP convention will be in 2024. So if Trump is the nominee, well, Paul Granny Starver Ryan doesn't want any of that shit to rub off on him. Now, to be sure, Ryan thinks Trump's not going to be the nominee, which kind of leaves us wondering if it's going to be Rhonda Santis. If we nominate Trump again, we're going to lose. We lost with him in 18, 20, and 22. You lost with him in 16, too. But, well, there was the operation of the racism-inspired electoral college. We lost with him in 18, 20, and 22. We know this. He'll cost us another election. So, Nitwit Nero, who really hates Paul Ryan now, Uh, is calling him a, a rhino. Yeah. And so consequently, Julius Geezer went over to his rickety-ass social media platform and threw a fit. Calling him a rhino. Republican in name only. Paul Ryan is a loser. Mitt Romney could have won without him. I won twice, did much better the second time, and was 233 wins out of 253 races in the midterms. Paul Ryan is destroying Fox and couldn't get elected dog catcher in the Republican Party. Yeah, maybe that's true. Maybe the Trump disease is still waxing and not waning. Funny thing is, though, that Paul Eddie Munster Ryan was right there hand in glove with Nitwit Nero handing out free money to billionaires back in 2017 with the tax. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. 
which gave away the treasury to a bunch of billionaires. Paul Ryan's a loser, he's a loser. Everybody knows he's a loser. You bring me a 55-gallon drum of ketchup, I want to hose down the walls. I'm really mad. He's a loser! My Nitwit Nero impression is getting closer and closer and closer to just being an unabashed Cartman impression. Oh, well. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm really, and if he's not the nominee, then that kind of points toward uh, noted drag queen Rhonda Santis. I'm amazed by the amount of power that the governor of Florida gets under the their under their benighted constitution. I had no idea that the governor of Florida had near dictatorial powers. That is certainly the way that they are being wielded by Rhonda Santis. As someone who is interested in academic freedom, this is some scary stuff. First it was CRT, and then it was the Anti-Woke Act, and then it was the Anti-Anti-No-Really-We-Hate-Wokeness Act. Then it was a matter of forcing Florida school teachers to remove books from their classroom libraries, because you know how it is with a Republican. You don't want these goddamn kids reading goddamn books. Well, now comes House Bill 999. No, really. Curiously, it's not called the Herb Cain Act. 999. I know that just gave a great smile to Brother Deacon Asa. A uh, right-wing creep by the name of Alex Andrade from Pensacola, Stan. Do we put Stan behind individual cities? Sure, why the hell not? Bans publicly funded colleges and universities in Florida from spending any money at all on anything that, quote, espouses diversity, equity, and inclusion or critical race theory rhetoric. And says the Board of Trustees will remain in charge of all faculty hiring. So there will be litmus tests. Was it was it a, was it Florida? A couple of Florida universities that I saw that were going to ditch English majors. Well, that fits right in. That's just about perfect. Jeremy Young is the senior manager of free expression and education at Penn America. Interviewed by Salon, he told them, In short, it is a political power grab over the way universities are structured and function, 
and will result in a regime of censorship. And then here's there's his feud with Disney. This guy is showing us in Florida how dangerous he would be on the national stage. And that is to say, way dangerous. Because he has Mussolini-style impulses. that are decidedly terrifying. He literally wants to control what children can learn and what young adults can learn, what college students can learn, what they can even study. Is that terrifying to you? It is to me. And what I was going to say is earlier is that it astonishes me how much, and this just goes to point up the differences in these petty fiefdoms. The governor of Florida has incredible power. Compare that with Texas, where the governor has relatively little power. Well, we had a Texas governor for a president, sort of, an appointed president. This guy is a full-on fascist. No getting around it. And he is, as I said before, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted because it feels like. It feels like we might actually be better off if Nitwit Nero was the nominee. And I realize this is dangerous business. This is like, uh, well, this is like the business in Pennsylvania where Democrats wanted Doug Mastriano, the maggot, the election denier, to be the Republican nominee for governor. And it worked out in that case. It doesn't always work out, but it won't always work out that way. But make no mistake, Ron DeSantis is America's most dangerous drag queen. He kind of got caught in a little pickle the other day, admitting that, yes, he and... uh, He and the woman that he married, you know, after he was done being a high school history teacher and supervising high school kids who were underage and drinking in his presence, it's a little embarrassing that he and his wife got married at, well, you know, Disney, right? And 
at some point in time during the program, we're probably going to talk about the Supreme Court arguments today regarding student loan forgiveness. I'll tell you what, those are some brilliant legal minds over there among our most puissant dread sovereign Supreme Catholic Majesties. I am, of course, being highly sarcastic. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust that lot to. Well, never mind. Let's um, let's run over and check out and see who's on the stress line. Hey, welcome to the program. Good evening, Robin. Hey, Dave. How are you? I'm doing well. I have some good news on Christine. Goody, yay. Do tell. Uh, after, after threatening Xfinity with a uh, lawsuit because they illegally turned off her internet saying that she had not paid her bill when the bank says, oh, yes, you did, they made her pay $100 for a service call. And she informed the Xfinity, the, the Xfinity, but that was to cover March's bill, they said. Never mind the service call was in February. But Christine uh, is going to go to the, they, they're, uh, their people ended up calling her at 10, 11, and midnight last night trying to get more money out of her. So Christine is filing a complaint with her bank for fraud. And she's going to turn a lot of this over to the attorney general and to her personal attorneys. God, she likes keeping those in the legal profession busy and you know, paying off their student loans. Lawyer Daggett, Lawyer Daggett. She draws that Lawyer Daggett like a gun. <laughs> and in Christine's case, uh, she has a whole form of Lawyer Daggett. So, th- th- this could be a very interesting couple of months coming up. Now, uh, for the reason I called... When I was at Indiana University, I took a course called Drug Use in America, where we talked about things like the effects of heavy drinking and drug use. It is highly possible that this misrepresentative that uh, lambasted the ACLU lawyer is a chronic alcoholic and has damaged the filters in his brain, you know, the things that keep you from saying stupid shit you're thinking at the time you're thinking it. Um, yes, the, the the ability to squelch one's inner monologue. Right. Well, that could be what's going on here. I'm not making excuses for said misrepresentative, but... Uh, it is highly possible, since he admitted that Well, maybe his filters weren't on at the time. I doubt they're even there when he's not drunk. Um, The uh, 
The other thing is, um, I haven't heard much from with Nero in the last week or so. Is Ron DeSantis taking up all the oxygen in the Republican room? Well, no, that's why I mentioned him throwing a hissy about um, Paul Eddie Munster, Granny Starver, Ryan. Oh, he's been saying he's been he's been saying lots of stuff. In, in, in the words of Tyrone Roth and Godfather Two, Ryan is small potatoes. He's he's done as far as the Republican Party is concerned, especially the narrow wing. Yeah, but he does still sit um, on the board of Fox. That matters. True. However, speaking of Mr. Murdoch's monstrous child, uh, it seems that 92-year-old Murdoch is not only in trouble with um, various lawsuits against Fox, but he's going through a divorce, either is going through or just has completed a divorce with his soon-to-be ex-wife, Jerry Hall. And frankly, I hope that Jerry takes him for everything she can get. The same. Wouldn't break my heart. Take it out. Take it out. Take it out of Rupert's wallet, dear. <laughs> you suffered enough. <laughs> but you know how odious do you have to be to be ninety-two years old and your wife won't wait until you die? Sometimes enough is enough. How old's Kissinger? Well, ask Belinda Gates. (laughs) That's a cowbell. Hold on. Uh, Ask, Ask Melinda Gates. I mean, I'm sure that... um, I'm sure that Belinda Gates said, you know, there's no amount of money in the world worth this shit. <laughs> and, and probably hired the lawyers. Um, but, you know, Murdoch, in his deposition um, with the voting machine company, where they're wanting $1.2 billion. Um, uh, out of him, he finally admitted that, yeah, everybody privately at Fox was saying that Trump was full of bullshit, that there was no actual evidence of a stolen election. But they were afraid to say it on the air. Right, hence testicle toasting Tuckio Rose Carlson screaming, Do something! The stock price is falling! Well, I believe, uh, and you've been to law school, so maybe you can advise me on this. Isn't that considered an admission? I mean... Um, I, I, I don't know how it will play yeah. out in the trial, but it could be considered a statement against interest 
or an admission by party by a party opponent. And uh, we, uh, I, I'm, I'm he glad in to fact see he's finally having. To, I'm, I'm glad to see he's finally having to face the music on this one. Um, you know, a, a billion here and a billion there—that adds up to money. And as far as I know, the billion and a half is merely the compensatory damages they're seeking. That's yeah. So I think I think you're right. And then if they come back with that verdict, they have to go back in the room and they get a fresh pencil and a fresh <laughs> sheaf of papers, and they get to write the number one and start drawing zeros again until their wrist cramps. Or until they reach nine times compensatory damages, whichever occurs first. The Supreme Court's take on tort reform. Maybe this could maybe this maybe this could be the case where uh, the our most puissant dread sovereign Supreme Catholic Majesties finally remember that the purpose of punitive damages is to punish, and you cannot punish without making it hurt. It's not like Fox is an oil company or anything. It's not like they're Exxon. And you figure just how corrupt they are because, I mean, Roger Ailes got, I mean, his, his problems got paid off. Uh, several of the on-air talent problems got paid off at stockholder expense. You can imagine that there's going to be some stockholder action if, if these judgments come down against Against Fox and Rupert you know, I hadn't, even considered, I hadn't even considered that. That's a lovely notion. Well, I did work in financial services for a while, so I kind of kept up on stuff like that. I understand. Yeah, stockholders stockholders have an extremely decent amount of power against the board if uh, that board is. Uh, using company funds for something other than the company's management and growth. Meaning they're paying off employee misdeeds and things like that and keeping it quiet. Um, Fox is not, contrary to what Rupert might want everyone to believe, his personal piggy bank. And I remember the debate when... In Congress, when he put forward a private bill in Congress to allow him to buy up several television stations to form the Fox Network. This, well, this is all related to and the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Yeah, but the, the personal bill was not the Telecommunications Act. He wanted a waiver from the previous rules because he was Rupert Murdoch. Right. And he got it. He got the waiver. 
And then it got enshrined in the Telecommunications Act. So I hope this unravels a lot of that bullshit. I hope that the, the powers that be look over and go, well, you know, that act was not exactly the best of ideas. We weren't doing so badly under the old rule. It wasn't broken, and it didn't need fixing. No, but look at the look at the path of destruction that Rupert Murdoch and his family have have uh, left in their way. Hoisted upon the universe that that they they ruined the press in England and in and in uh, Australia. And then they decided to come to North America because they needed a fresh toilet. True words have not been spoken. Sorry, I did not mean to ruin anybody's dinner. I should have made the announcement when I came on. But Dave in the Blind is talking, so step away from your food and your drink. And I am not responsible for anything you pass through your nose while listening. All right. Now that been said. Um, well, on a business note, however, this is the busy season down at the shop. Uh, you know, right after Fat Tuesday, the crucifixions just skyrocket, rather. Um, oh, I can well imagine. We've had we, we've had to lay on exorcists. We even hired a young man with some intellectual disabilities. So I believe his name was Eric Trump. Huh? Um, Gladys liked the boy. I mean, Gladys. he says we'll make a fine, uh, a fine custodial engineer out of him someday. We we don't let him around any of the records of the money, of course, because, well, he's shown himself to be a little irresponsible with that sort of thing. But uh, we do let him sweep up around the shop every now and then. Glad this is kind of shine to him. That woman is more forgiving than I ever would be, but, you know. Uh, now, as far as his daddy, well... I've had to put new locks on the liquor cabinet. Uh, keep them out of my 445th of, of booze that the Secret Service had paid me to watch him back a few months ago. So um, I, I'm feeling a lot better now. And I have a feeling the way things are going, I'm going to, by the end of the next four years, I'm going to be through those 445. But I am glad to see that Democrats in the the several states are beginning to take these Republican bastards to task. You know, in places you wouldn't think. I mean, there's Kavanaugh in Nebraska, for God's sake. That was inspiring. And so was your speech I heard on Monday. I was listening in on that program. And 
that was a, that was an inspiring uh, that was an inspiring piece of work there, Robin. <laughs> and it's not. This is how you lay the groundwork for political movement in this country. It's been that way for last over two hundred years. And if the Republicans have taught us anything, even if it takes half a century, you can get there. I frankly am not that patient. Uh, I'm more than willing to burn a little fascist where they stand now. And I'm saying that in a deeply fascist state of Taliban, you're not. You're not. You're not just Vislin Dixie. No. You know no. where you live. Um. If if this had been 160 years ago, Robin, and the political situation in Indiana had been the way it is now, Kentucky and Indiana would have been part of the Confederacy. Oh, without a doubt. So would Missouri. Because these guys, national divorce. The only reason Marjorie Trader Queen is not in handcuffs right this minute is she's not yelling at secession. She's using coded language, which is just fine. No, we, no, I went over that earlier. It's not coded language. It's She can't spell secession. Because she can spell national and she can spell divorce. But, but well, I hope that doesn't hurt too little. When, when her husband, who I believe is the one that filed in 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 that situation, I hope it doesn't hurt too little there either. Um, the, the, this woman. Oh my God! How in the how in the name of God does anyone, even a right wing pain in the ass, think that this is? Right? I heard a uh, audio clip from Freebie, Stevie Free Shirt calling her out on it, saying that she should go down to. Uh, Arlington National Cemetery and go down to the section where they've buried the veterans from Gettysburg and start spouting that shit there. He was pretending to be pissed off, of course. Pretending. While secretly going, go girl, you know. Yeah. And why he's not incarcerated is beyond me. I mean, I know appeals take a while, but damn, with as loud as his mouth is, and well, frankly, he could be considered a legitimate flight risk with his resources. Let him camp out you know, 
while they're awaiting the appeal. This is nuts. We're upside down in this country, Robin. I don't even recognize this country anymore. There are parts that I do. There are parts that are still trying to work on that more perfect union. It's not happening below the Mason-Dixie line. That's for damn sure. And, you know, for all the evil that Ron Monkey Up DeSantis has done, there's something about forbidding the teaching of long-established academic disciplines that in some ways seems like the most glaring example of his blatant fascism. I'm going to tell you why it's not being challenged by the academic. No one wants to be the first one to get sent to prison for 15 years. Well, precisely. I don't know how and they did it, but the somehow they, the, you know, they got over that hurdle. The Republicans got over that hurdle on January 6th, where instead of not wanting to be the first one, you had a bunch of maggots who were eager to be the first one. Welcome to the Third Civil War in North America. I keep trying to resist the idea that that's what it is. Well, I did warn you they're still doing it. And they opened they opened the violence just as surely as the Confederates did in Fort Sumter. I don't think it's unreasonable to compare January 6, 2021 to Fort Sumter. Because the, the, prim- violence, the primary difference, the primary few- difference being that the adherents of the right, uh, instead of putting on their butternut and marching off to Manassas, have instead gone down to the shooting arm store and picked up an AR-15 and decided to go hunting people who they hope don't have guns. Well, an interesting fact about the butternut uniforms, those were uniforms used by um, state militias throughout the country. North as well as as south? Yes. Yes. It was more prominent in the south. But that's what identified you as a member of a state militia rather than a regular army. No, be good. I didn't realize that. And and that's also why I thought, I thought maybe it was just to, the best that those bro, those 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 uh, broke ass people could afford. No, uh, that's why when uh, the battle. The battle bull run happened the first time around. Uh, there was so much confusion 
because the Confederate flag and the American flag look very similar in smoke. And in some cases, the state units, because the armies were all based on state units, you know, the the 6th Indiana or, or the or the 2nd Tennessee Regiment or whoever. All, all of your regiments and all of, all of that were drawn from a single state. Uh, the, the best book I can tell you to get on the subject of being a soldier in the Civil War is An Irishman in the Iron Brigade. It was written by a man who was a member of the Iron Brigade, and he gives a, a very detailed um, picture of his time in the war. Remember, after the Civil War, a lot of veterans on both sides of the, of the uh, conflict wrote about their experiences. Absolutely. If for no other reason than and if for no other reason than to pass it down to their progeny. You know, this is what I went through. And there's a there's a film of a reunion at Gettysburg, the last one in like nineteen thirty five. Yeah, Ken Burns and, featured that in his uh, documentary. And, and that was more of a reunion that did more to heal some of those old men than all the years before it. Of course, by 1935, um, the, the uh, lost cause had been well established. The statues had gone up all over the South. And in the North, you had the glorious and grand army of the republic uh, there is a, there is a union there is a statue there is a statue of a union soldier on the front lawn of the jackson county west virginia courthouse and he is a soldier of the gar the grand army of the republic that's right the boys and, in blue and that was a that was that was a veterans group and they raised money to bury dead veterans who couldn't afford to bury themselves and things along that line. I mean, Memorial Day started out as Decoration Day in the South and the movement moved up north and it was an effort to identify war dead, among other things. Well, you remind me of something, and this being the last day of Black History Month, um, I seem to recall a story that, yes, Decoration Day began in the South, but Decoration Day began in the South, actually, as a memorial for Union uh, for uh, union dead who had fought to free yes. enslaved people. And then the... Yes, and then the family... And then the family... And then the family... Right. And then the families of the uh, traitors... Well, we can't let what we 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 gotta do something too, right? And, and that that is absolutely correct. Uh, it started out um, that it started out unofficially. Small groups of, of of freed blacks were decorating Union graves, 
because these men were buried far from home in many cases. And it was an attitude of, we don't want them to be forgotten. There, there, was, a, there was a lot of that uh, for people who went through that war. Uh, Harriet Tubman was the first woman in U.S. history to command combat troops in combat. Yeah, you, re- you remind war. me, I, I need to ask you this because you may actually know the answer. Joanne Ann Arbor uh, wrote to me the other day and said, do you know of any really good documentaries about the Civil War that aren't Ken Burns? Uh, there's one on Harriet Tubman on Amazon Prime, but I don't remember the name. It's really good. Uh, there's also a... Uh, there is a series on Prime about the Civil War, about different aspects of the Civil War in, as, as a group. It is not a Ken, a Ken Burns uh, creation, although Ken Burns had a pretty high standard. For yeah, there's just so much romanticism and Shelby Foote sitting there saying, but, you know, right before, well, right before the, right before the. Uh, Pickett's charge, Most you know, people, uh, there's a dream, and, and he's, it's, it's Shelby Foote quoting uh, William Faulkner, you know, uh, before the charge, uh, Pickett's charge takes, uh, but that line about, yeah, that before Pickett's charge, there was yet a chance that the South could win. Win what? Well, Robin... I think dispassionate historians, mostly in the North, uh, have, have looked at this. Military historians are going, well, the odds were stacked against the South. Their one advantage was they had a professional officer corps at the beginning of the war. Right, because they had American military officers who had committed treason. And they were a, a, a lot of the big names were West Point graduates. Sure, Bobby and Lee and, and, and... Bobby, well, Bobby, Bobby Lee also had been commandant of the point. Yes. But actually, the, 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 one, ge- the one general that the, the South was most excited, I don't even know why we're talking about this at this point, uh, was Albert Sidney Johnston. He was going to be the deal breaker. He was going to be the one who gave the Yankees what for. And in fact, he left, he, he resigned his commission, declared himself a traitor, and traveled all the way from California to the South to take up his Confederate commission. And then the genius bled to death in his boot at Shiloh in 1862. Well, he, um, oops, but Shelby Foote is, uh, what I like to think of as the last gasp of the, uh, lost cause. I think that's, I think that's an, a, a, an appropriate assessment. Um, he had talked to Pickett's granddaughter or something, the story I heard in, in Ken Burns, and, uh, he told, 
almost figured. Uh, there were two geniuses in that war, your grandfather and Abraham Lincoln. And she said, well, you know, my family didn't think much of Mr. Lincoln. <sighs> um, but that's the kind of thing. The wall of northern aggression. About. Okay, who fired the first shot? I know. Oh, not wasn't the North. That's like when I hear, oh, the attack on the Capitol was Antifa or Black Lives Matter. It's the same goddamn thing. You're right. Y'all, we're in the middle of the Third Civil War. We just don't fucking know it. I hate when I feel I'm right. I wish, you know, I I wish, I I know, I understand why President Biden isn't giving any breath to the babblings of marginal trailer queen, but I kind of wish he would. He doesn't want to run the risk of elevating her status by being dealt with, you know, by being even worthy of mention by the President of the United States. She's just a shitty backbencher who has been artificially catapulted into a position of power. But the fact of the matter is, she is in that position of power. And whether we like to admit it or not, Dave, there is a certain contingent of America because, look, she's one of the leading fundraisers of the Republican Party who agree with her. Now, being maggots, they haven't really thought it through. They don't realize when they're sitting there in Mississippi stand saying, you know, old national divorce. They don't realize it would mean that their roads would be freaking dirt inside a generation. They don't realize that it would probably not be a great thing for Mulvupi. Uh, to have the John Stennis Space Center pulled out of the Mississippi Gulf Coast area. They don't well, and let us not forget all the, all, all, the, all the military bases that are in the South. Sure. Or in red states where the incomes from those bases to the local economy are the, are the, are the, are the economic engines of the re, re area. I mean, Fort Bragg, which will hopefully not be Fort Bragg for much longer. Sure. Yeah, I thought they were going. I thought they were going to change that to a, a name of a northern general who was born around those parts. I I had the list at one point in time, read them off, put it, but I don't remember. Uh, yeah, that's supposed to happen uh, at some I, point. I, I I think I think Bragg was supposed to be removed and replaced with. A general who had been born in the South. Fort Bragg, Fort Hood, Fort A.P. Hill. And the the problem with A.P. Hill is it's so close to D.C. Yeah. Because during the Civil War, it was often commented that, well, D.C. was a Union city. It was a very southern city. And so because 
it had the unique status of being a district instead of a state. Uh, it became a hotbed of espionage between the two sides. Oh, sure, yeah. And that gave us Edwin Booth's little brother. And Edwin, that- ironically, saving the last man to the last officer or the man who would become the last living officer uh, at Appomattox, at the surrender of Appomattox. And that was none other than Robert Lincoln. I'll be darned. Well, uh, Darlene in Connecticut just wrote and said, gotcha beat, Dave and the Blind. All right, let's hear it. Considering their respective rumored fornicating pasts, I'm willing to bet gangrene and the weaker speaker have been, well, you know, doing the nasty. Oh. Uh, Now that, and and Darlene Darlene says, now that definitely ruined everyone's dinner in all the time zones. I got to agree. Better on her than me. Oh, I got a drink after the program. (laughs) <laughs> hey Dave, I'm gonna roll, buddy, because uh, there's right. other people trying to jump in. But it's been a lovely conversation. Tell Christine to give him hell, please. I will, ma'am. I will. You'll take care of yourself. I'm sure gonna try. You do the same. All right. All right. See you, Dave. Bye. Bye. Uh, somebody was just trying to ring into the stress line, so uh, feel free to try again, and we'll see. Uh, see who you are. Uh, by the way, this again, earlier uh, we had the magnificently powerful legislator from Nebraska, Michaela Kavanaugh. I, sub- I submit to you now Department of Defense Inspector General Robert Storch, who went to a a congressional hearing, the House Armed Services Committee hearing, which just happens to have as one of its members uh, the forehead that walks on two legs, Matt Gates, it just gates worse, who was gonna who was gonna give Inspector General Storch what for? Yeah, it didn't work out as planned. And Matt Gates had all of his sources ready and everything. I seek consent to enter into the record the Global Times investigative report that uh, indicate that talks about training. It's uh, from the Atlantic Council's Digital Forensics Research Lab, uh, citing that the Azov Battalion was even getting stuff as far back as 2018. Without objection, so ordered. Any reason to disagree with that assessment, Doctor? This is uh, Doctor Call. Um. And the problem is, uh, Dr. Call is Colin Call, Under Secretary of Defense for Policy, and Gates is having a hissy about the Azov Battalion that was integrated. It, it was a bunch of right wingers. I mean, that, that's that's the Ukro Nazis that they bark and grunt about ever so much. Uh, it got integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard in 2014, and 
the question on whether it had access to USAID that went to Ukraine. It did not go well. Because he referenced the, uh, what, the uh, Global Times. Shh, don't tell Matt Gates, but that's a, that's, his, that's a propaganda arm of the Chinese Communist People's Government Party, whatever. Shh. Is this the, I'm sorry, is this the Global Times from China? No, this is... Yes. Well, that's what you read. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, would that be a reason? Uh, I, I, as a general matter, I don't take Beijing's propaganda. Well, no, no. Yeah, but just value. tell me if the if the allegation is true or false. I mean, uh, it, I don't have any evidence one way or the okay. other. As a general matter, I don't take Beijing's propaganda at face value. Fair, fair enough. Got served. Is it? It's the Global Times of Oh, China. Ooh, somebody, some legislative aide got got their ass handed to him when he got back to his. What do you mean handing me the global tragedy? That gummit. <laughs> oh well, gee, Matt. Hope it didn't make you feel, you know, too stupid. Uh, but let's uh, let's run back to the stress line. Hey, welcome to the program. Hello. Uh, just a minute. Stand by. You're on the air. Well, I've got the thing potted up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Who have I got? Well, don't have them anymore. Uh, You'll have that. Um, Okay. Checking email. Uh, Jimmy writes in from the Great Northwest. Subject line Civil War. I believe the new Civil War began when uh, Don Foolery was cheated in the presidency, and I'm still. Surprised the violence isn't worse. Or cheated to get the presidency? Did I? Yeah. Oh, and by the way, going back to uh, DeSantis versus Trump, our buddy John in Central PA says, uh, the war with Trump and DeSantis is so fake. They're the same. One is smarter. The other one thinks he's God. Maybe it is wrestling. I don't know, John. But I haven't seen anything to indicate that, I mean, he hasn't announced anything yet, but Monkey Up is trying to do everything he can to court away the maggot base. This, of course, is deeply under the skin of Newt. Maybe, maybe... Look, maybe Ron Monkey up DeClantis is just, at this point in time, he's just uh, stoking the stroke. Okay, let's try the stress line again. Hey, welcome to the program. 
Hi, Robin. It's Theo. Oh, hey, Theo. How are you? Wow. Great to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, catching a break between having to recover the plants from snow again some more um, and spoiling a cat. Um, I've been fascinated listening to your conversation and I absolutely adored the video of you. Also of Michaela, um, what is her Kavanaugh. 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 Oh, she's genius. I know women who would hold a triumphal parade in the, in the streets of Portlandia for her. Um, they may be one, actually. Um, it gives me some hope, the fact that there are people like that or women like that particularly who are willing to stand up, not take the crap, and be right out in the way and be stand in the gears of some of the nasty legislation that's been produced in this country for decades. Um, makes me feel better. One thing that makes me want to know, Theo, is, and I alluded, I didn't just allude, I said it earlier, uh, I want to know if her ability to, as you said, throw sand in the gears is strictly a, a function of the unicameral nature of the Nebraska legislature, or if maybe similar tactics might be available in other states. Uh, isn't it interesting that every time we talk about the filibuster in the United States Senate, the Republicans say, Oh, we can't have, we can't get rid of the filibuster. This, this, this is also democracy. And you know, Joe Manchin will say the same thing, and then uh, Kurtzie and Kirsten Cinema will say the same thing, and we get, well, good things go to the Senate to die. Yeah, but, behind their hands, they're saying, "Well, we don't want to have the filibuster if it's not working for us." Right, and we certainly don't um, want it back in our home states. Of course they don't. Yeah, uh, I know. It's, but I mean, I, I, it's, uh, Washington, it's, D.C. was once described as a supremely silly circus, and it's gotten squalid. It used to be funny. Now it's ridiculous, but not really funny. Anyway, one of the oddities up here, and particularly for liberal progressives like me, is that it's a sort of national image of the Pacific Northwest as a liberal sanctuary, but it's more like a series of liberal bubbles. Uh, the cities like Portland, um, Eugene, the capital, and, uh, oh, God, major college town. Which Salem? Is suddenly not coming to mind. Is, is, well, Salem, yes, it's yeah. the capital. Um but those are our three financial money makers and engines uh, on the west side of the mountains. And they tend to be the liberal thinkers. Um, there is hardcore conservatism of once you get east. Um, I know that when President Obama was planning to start a, a declare a, a wilderness area as a or a new federally protected wilderness area. It got, you know, absolutely rabid objections, and it was because it was attached to Obama's name. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't 
Sure, and of course we all we all remember we all remember the kid gloves treatment that the uh, ammonium nitrate Bundy got when he decided to overrun the Maller bird sanctuary. The Malheur, yeah, the Malheur Wildlife Sanctuary. I covered that for a friend of mine's radio and podcast. Uh, I'm, there, there are still details that keep cropping up for me, um, and the people in the closest city burns the metropolis on that side of the mountain but there is in that region were all extremely nonplussed and the fact that these this bunch of from all parts of the map, uh, mostly out of state, coming from, you know, Arizona, Utah, Nevada, who had come plowing in by by invitation of these nut bags. Uh, they didn't seem to have any message that emanated for the locals. Everybody, the farmers who were, were local to the area around the, the wildlife reservation, they want to try to get along with the federal government because over time they've hammered out agreements and, um, you know, sort of achieved degree of working peace with the federal government and with the administrations. And they didn't like having that upset by these, these, you know, heavily armed net bags. So there's still sympathy for the Bundys in some quarters up here, but it's, uh, you have to look hard for it. And I'm just glad that I got the reservation back and undid the environmental damage that the Bundys did. Oh, they, and they did, uh, they, did ser- they did serious harm. And, of course, the Bundys came from Nevada. Oh, I know. Because I that's, where, you know, where, that's, that's where the – Bundy... Yeah, that's where the yeah, – Cliven, let me tell you about the Negro Bundy – had you know, oh, he, he was a, he was a deadbeat. He was he was getting a, a huge, huge uh, benefit from grazing some sort of some skeevy beef on federal lands. You know, our lands, we the people. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want oh, to pay I'm, up. I'm didn't want to pay up. I mean, just for people, just for the rem- reminder for people who may have forgotten ammonium nitrate and cloven Bundy, and there was business involving yeah. them burning their own house down and. Or, or no, no, starting a range fire. That was it, wasn't it? Yeah, with he and he and one of the sons starting a range fire uh, to to you know we were we were trying to burn off all the junk brush so we could have good grazing land, and it turned into a conflagration. It was just a masterpiece of non-planning, as seems to have been everything else they tried to do by way of provoking the government. They made about as much sense as Pat Finn did when he was, you know, drunk. Yeah. Which are my favorite parts of Huckleberry Finn. Um, <laughs> the Lost O'Fan yeah, and the yeah. Duke of Bilgewater are my favorite. That that butcher mm-hmm. that butchery of Shakespeare. I have to go back and reread it. I had it's, it. Me- I had it. Mem- I had it memorized long. for audition pieces once upon a time, but uh, it's absolutely hilarious. Well, yeah, it's natural material. Um, you know, mine was was Ray Bradbury's. Uh, it was from Through the Chicago Abyss, a play which today, if you tried to say in, in 
a lot of metropolises, especially the ones with the homeless or, or any sort of urban problems, you could attract a really, really unfriendly crowd with that play. Uh, I don't know if you know it or if the audience. I don't know it. No, in I... a collection, the wonderful ice cream suit, uh, which is three of Bradbury's plays, and I, I was one of Bradbury's kids. He was he was a mentor and inspirer to me. I still have some correspondence, and he was this wonderful, crazy man. And the play, basically set in a future sort of urban dystopia where everybody is really on the down and out and broke and trying just to scrape by. And into the scene comes this weird old guy. He's described as the old man who remembers mediocrities. And he recalls all the junk of a civilization that was in a lot of the shape. Um, actually, he says at one point in his monologue, he says, the soliloquy, which is brilliant. Oh, I can offer really sentiment junk, the chromed over slush and uh, trinkets of a civil racetrack civilization that ran last over a cliff and hasn't struck bottom yet. Yet, one way or another, civilization must get back on the road. Um, and it goes on and on like that. I, I remember fragments of it today. Uh, and I would love to perform it on stage. Actually, I've lost enough weight that I could be credible in the part. But again, there's enough about, you know, urban decay and urban crises that's so uncomfortably close to a lot of what's happening now that um, it can attract some attention you might not want or some rousing good publicity. You, you really know, if you go know, with the theory that there is no bad publicity. Right. You, rem you remind me of a uh, and, uh, you remind me of a passage, and I think it's "God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater" by Kirk Vonnegut Jr. Uh, it blew my mind mm -hmm. when I when I noticed it years ago. It was in a conversation, an email exchange um, between our, my buddy uh, Reverbo and I. God, I can't remember how long ago this was, but in it he pa in it the character passes through West Virginia. And remarks, and the, the book was published in 1972. And he remarks, and I think it's the first appearance of mountaintop removal in any literary, uh, as in fictional, form. And he says something like, in only a hundred years, they had managed to destroy their entire state for heat. Talking about the coal industry. And the first mountaintop removal operation opened, actually, on the Kanawha County, Fayette County line in 1972. So somehow or another, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. got wind of that. It's a fascinating passage. Boy, talk about saying talk about saying the most with the fewest words. Oh, really? Absolutely. I'm a huge Vonnegut fan. I'm, I'm almost. Yeah, it sounds like it. I know. Um, Slaughterhouse Five and Harrison Bergeron and some of his other pieces. Uh, I there's so much reading I want to do, and it I don't seem to have the time. Um, and given that I'm 70 now, I damn well better get to it. If I don't make it happen now, 
Um, on the other hand, one thing that I'm, you, you were just talking about the Civil War and the whole business of the great lost cause and the romanticism. Right. Um, and there's some of that on both sides, but I think one thing that broke that for me or makes me, made me question it, and it was quite a while before I saw Ken Burns. Uh, series was that one of my great great grandfathers was a Union Army surgeon. Oh my! He was he was a battlefield surgeon, Captain John Anderson Jones, um, Civil War hero in the family. My mom, who was in her nineties, actually remembers him. Um, but you know, I'd heard all the stories about what a great guy he was, but that all came from people who knew him after the war. And he ultimately went blind and had to be, you know, led. Although he fooled, he fooled my mother and her twin sister into believing he could actually see. And he, he kind of faked them out by asking leading questions and they would correct him. And he would say, oh, yes, of course, that's right. He was a crafty old guy. But I happened to see some of Matthew Brady's photographs from Brady's team of photographers because he wasn't the only guy on the battlefield. And one of them had not been reproduced for many years and was reproduced in a, in a book. And in detail, a Civil War battle surgeon's tools, these incredibly crude, butcherous surgical tools, especially yeah. for amputation. Oh, God, the bone saw. Um, yeah. Yeah. And working mostly without anesthetic, you know, it might have been laudanum and it might have been rum if they could get it. Uh, but there is also, and I may have, this may have been a memory, um, a, like a wooden peach bucket, just basically a big fruit basket of seven limbs after a battle and after surgery and to be taken out and burned. Um, and that, again, whether it's dream or nightmare or actual memory, it is feared for me. And I don't, I can't imagine it ever going away, but it, it put the brakes on the romanticism right there. Because when I was, when I, I television, of course, did a lot of romanticized stuff by fiction, um, Actually, two of the best documentaries I can think of that I've seen that were not, uh, you know, Ken Burns, were done by David O. Wolper. He did a series called uh, Appointment with Destiny that was, and it it followed the conventions of real photography, but went back into into time, historical situations. And there was one about uh, Grant and Lee meeting at Appomattox sign the surrender and their careers leading up to it. Um, and the essentially anti-war movement like the Copperhead and the enormous number of anti-draft riots that took place during the war. Uh, the country was unsettled and a lot of people weren't sure they wanted to reunify if they couldn't come to some more immediate solution. Uh, 
But there's also one that he did, the first of the, the, the series in the project, called They've Killed President Lincoln, which historically all the details building up to Lincoln's assassination and the aftermath um, on original locations wherever possible. And again, using the conventions of newsreel or news photography and interviewing had they existed at the time. And it's haunting. Uh, it's imagine. really imaginative work. Oh, yeah. And I think both of them are up on YouTube. So something to look for and definitely worth looking at. Uh, they're from the mid-60s, so a lot of the surroundings look a little cheesy uh, 60s television budgets, although they were, in fact, pretty elaborately done for the time. But definitely worth a look. And they don't, they don't romanticize. They don't, you know, they don't play to anybody's uh, uh, memories of, you know, Ashley Wilkes and, you know, Miss Scarlet. Um, so for anybody who's interested and, you know, doesn't mind having their whatever romantic notions they have worth consulting. Actually, I hope you'll forgive me. I kind of need to get going. That's fine, Theo. It's great just to hear from you. Oh, of course. And I think I've got my phone sorted out now, so I won't show you any more, you know, anonymous conundrums on the air. <laughs> no worries. No that. worries. You know, but it I, is finally nice to talk to you. It's lovely to finally talk no. to you, and I hope, I, hope, I hope that'll happen again soon. I'll do my best. I need to. I need, care, I need to pick. I need to pick your brain about the Great Northwest. So we'll do that another day. Take care, Theo. I'd be glad to do it. All right. You too. Great. Bye. Bye. Well, yay! First time call from Theo. That's wonderful. I love that. That just it, it just mm, gives me a big old smile. And we got to we got to talk a little literature, a little history, and a little. Uh, Little politics and culture. Been a while since we talked about Clovenhoof Bundy. But as we um, as we move up, we're well into the third hour of the program. Uh, as we bid farewell to this odd, squishy February, um, I did want to make sure to bring one subject up, and that is this. Because in the early days of the pandemic, we talked at considerable length about the origins of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, and then I guess it was morning before, maybe it was yesterday morning. I think it, maybe it was, something like that. Um, but I saw, the, I, I, saw, I saw the story, and it started out in... The Wall Street Journal, of course, a Murdoch joint. And the minute I saw the headline, I just thought, "Oh no!" You know, when I went full, I went full John Luke Picard, head in hands, not, not this shit again. And I want to make sure I get it right so that we can all understand why 
I felt about it the way that I did. Because during during the height of the pandemic, there was so much barking and braying and brooding and groaning, etc. About the Chinese done did it. Remember? And so the Wall Street Journal headline... He said, uh, I'm looking forward here. I, I, I absolutely just want to get it right. Okay, I will go somewhere else and find it. I, everything, I got everything in the world on every, every device. It's a little frustrating. It's here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Wall Street Journal. Lab leak most likely origin of COVID-19 pandemic energy department now says. Okay. Now, if you're just a casual reader, you'll see you'll see that and go, "Oh. So it was the China virus." The China virus, China, 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 China. But as I said to Annette, of course the Wall Street Journal buried the lead. Because it starts out, Michael R. Gordon and Warren P. Strobel, and this is actually a textbook case of how to slant a hard news article without making it obvious. The U.S. Energy Department, Dateline, Washington. The U.S. Energy Department has concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak. According to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. The shift by the Energy Department, which previously was undecided on how the virus emerged, is noted in an update to a 2021 document by Director of National Intelligence, Avril Haines' office. So we got two solid, reasonably solid appearing paragraphs there. The new report highlights how different parts of the intelligence community have arrived at disparate judgments about the pandemic's origin. That's the first hint that it may not be quite as solid as the uh, headline leads us to believe. The Energy Department now joins the Federal Bureau of Investigation in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. For other agencies, along with the National Intelligence Panel, still judge that it was likely the result of a natural transmission, and two are undecided. That's three paragraphs of what seems like real solid hard news coverage. But it takes the third paragraph before you find out that they really, well, there's no consensus. 
And then finally, and this is a classic case of a journalistic buried lead, this is bad journalism. A one-sentence paragraph, the Energy Department made its judgment with low confidence, according to people who have read the classified report. Low confidence. I don't have access to the to the to, to the standards used in a, cla- in a in a classified document, but I am a longtime practitioner of the art of word knowing. And low confidence is nowhere near as solid as I don't know high confidence or clear and convincing confidence or confidence beyond a reasonable doubt. Those are legal standards, but you get my meaning. It's actually a paragraph. So one, two, three. Fifth paragraph is that one sent low confidence. The Wall Street Journal saying, wow, it's significant because the agency has considerable scientific expertise. Considerable. Considerable doing a lot of heavy lifting going on, it, it, considering what comes in the paragraph following. The Energy Department made its judgment with low confidence, which they put in quotes. I don't know if that means that somebody nudged, the, I don't know if the, the, the dick finger scare quotes mean that some whoever it was that told the Reporters at the Wall Street Journal did so and, you know, nudged them in the ribs with their elbow and gave them a little wink. A little nod. But the fact of the matter is, this is horrible. This is horrible journalism. But by the time that this lie got around the world, well, the truth the truth was still looking under, fighting the dust bunnies under the bed trying to... <sighs> find its other shoe. Low confidence. Low confidence. Now, how far it is between no confidence and low confidence? What's the definition? No confidence is, why are we even saying this? Low confidence is, uh... Somebody leaked this to the Wall Street Journal. It'll make good copy. But there was Jim Jacketoff Jordan. Dr. Fauci needs to apologize. And every other barking, grunting, and braying, and bleeding uh, right-wing POS out there. That were the Chinese. This seems like a case of Occam's razor, where the simplest answer is most likely to be the correct one. And the simplest answer is that when you take a bunch of animals from all over the planet, you put them in one place, they have never existed together in nature, bad things are going to happen. They're in open cages, they're peeing and shitting all over each other. 
now is it is is it annoying is it well suspicious that that Wuhan wet market was almost immediately closed and every animal in it slaughtered animals can be bred and slaughtered sorry dr strange love by the way thank you uh, frank in iowa in answer to uh, Frank standing in as the Horn Ad Hoc Henry Kissinger Research Department, Henry the K is 99. Asked that question earlier in the program. You can come up with any number of excuses for why the Chinese moved in and did what they did. Maybe they did it out of non-nefarious purposes. Holy shit, we've got an outbreak, and here's where the outbreak started. Let's close the barn door before all the pangolins are gone. Or you can get into much more complex realms of made it happen or let it happen, my hop or lie hop, made it happen on purpose or let it happen on purpose. I remember those phrases from the heady days of uh, the the years immediately following the attacks of September the 11th, 2001, when the primary debate was, did they let it happen on purpose or did they make it happen on purpose? You know. But this is just going to this is just going to prove to be fodder for more freakish behavior on the part of the white wing in this country. And unlike what I'm talking about here right now, there will be precious little conversation about that low confidence. How low is low? Is low confidence... A half a notch above a rumor? Was there any arm twisting done to get that low confidence estimation? The article goes on to point out that the FBI, whose, by the way, province is domestic and not foreign intelligence. But the FBI uh, previously came to the conclusion, and let's remember who runs the FBI and who made that person head of the FBI. Can we? Pretty please? You know, Nitwit Nero? Chris Bubay. <sighs> they reached their conclusion in 2021 with moderate confidence. And then by way of trying to bolster the FBI's estimation, the Wall Street Journal goes on and says, uh, the FBI employs a cadre of micro... Okay, well, if it's a cadre, that, that's, that's something. A cadre of microbiologists, immunologists, and other scientists and is supported by the National Bioforensic Analysis Center, which was established at Fort Detrick, Maryland in 2004, to analyze anthrax and other possible biological threats. Do we remember Fort Detrick? Do we remember the great anthrax scare that 
fuck made it impossible to mail anything to a member of Congress. Meanwhile, the agency that is charged with foreign intelligence, pretty much it's their bread and butter, way, 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 way down in the article, the Central Intelligence Agency and another agency of officials wouldn't name remain undecided between the lab leak and natural transmission theories, the people who have read the classified report said. And then even further down in the article, you get to the one that really must have broken the hearts of people like uh, Jim Shorts Jordan and Marginal Trailer Queen. Despite the agency's differing analyses, the update reaffirmed an existing consensus between them that COVID-19 wasn't the result of a Chinese biological weapons program. Was not. Because one of the things way back when that kind of scared the living bejesus out of me was the fear I had that there was there was a lot of saber rattling going on and that there were probably people within the maggot party who wanted to use that as some sort of casus belli To go toe to toe with the Chicoms. Oh, the Chicoms, my friend. Remember Charlie Tree? Yeah, you're friends with Bill Clinton. Give me some more of those pills. And I really do hope that the photo that I saw on social media is true. And it was a picture of Rush Limbaugh's tombstone. And a corner of it was, let's just say, very damp. The story being that someone had gone and taken a wee on it. It's not going to affect the pineapple reception down there. Meanwhile, the update that is the entire heart and soul of this considerably breathless piece of Slanted Wall Street Journal reporting. Well, several more paragraphs go by. and The update is less than five pages. And it wasn't requested by Congress. But lawmakers, particularly House and Senate Republicans, are pursuing their own investigations. You know, because they're going to be, they're smarter and they're going to have more access to more uh, information than every one of those intel agencies put together because they're yanking it straight out of their asses via the thin gray settlings that slosh around between their ears and pass for brains. U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan declined to confirm or deny the journal's reporting in an appearance on Sunday on CNN. So it was Sunday morning I saw this. At this point in time, though, and I do not mean to be flip about this, 
So what? So what? If you want to talk about the dangers of viruses mutating and getting all over the, getting around the globe and causing massive amounts of death and disease there is probably more to be feared from climate change than there is from a chinese lab remember there were campaigners in asia long before COVID-19 ever became a thing. Remember the first COVID? Those campaigners were screaming at the top of their lungs for anyone who would care to listen that those wet markets were a source of truly terrifying mutational possibilities. Oof. And to the best of my knowledge, they largely still exist. And for those of you who are watching The Last of Us, it ain't even about the viruses when it comes to zombifying human beings. And I don't know if you caught this, but Woody Harrelson hosted Saturday Night Live this past Saturday night and got a dig in. Uh, Woodman. The language was something like, uh, yeah, and I'd gotten high and I was sitting in Central Park and I was reading this script And the script was all about how, like, what would happen if, like, the pharmaceutical companies, like, bought, you know, all the politicians and all the major media, and then they made us all stay in our homes unless we bought their medicines and took their vaccines... And, like, I just thought, dude, that's crazy. That wouldn't ever make, like, a good movie, you know? And there was some tittering through the audience, but by the time morning had rolled around, Elno Muskrat, Napoleon Bonapartheid, the man that people used to think was a genius had said something like, Woody's not wrong! Or, Woody makes sense! And then the next morning you get this story in the Wall Street Journal. And that part does make me feel a little paranoid. But that's me. We, we, 
We are in more danger than we know in just about any direction in which we choose to look. Some people are in more danger than other people. But danger, in the end, is danger. And I may have, I may have kind of gotten my wish earlier. I said that President Biden doesn't deal, doesn't give much oxygen to marginal trailer queen. And he has not directly addressed her secessionism. But he has decided to needle her a little bit. And that's uh, well, his 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 timing and his folksiness make the blade go in real smooth, like betwixt the ribs. What about Social Security and Medicare? Well, are they safe? During the State of the Union, as some of you may have seen, <laughs> I was. I've been around for a lot of State of the Unions. I never saw one where the president got to negotiate in the open with everybody. I was pleased to see so many Republicans stand up. Remember when Marjorie Taylor Greene was yelling, liar, liar, Biden's a liar. And he crosses himself. I'm going to be good. We don't want to cut anything, I, so I, when I asked, I said, okay, you don't want to cut anything. Everybody who says we're not going to cut Medicare or Social Security, when I asked them to join us and reject the cuts in Medicare, wasn't it something? They all stood up. They all stood up. And they're all on camera. <laughs> Got all their pictures. Like I said, I believe in conversion. Maybe they found, as my grandfather's, maybe they found religion on Social Security and Medicare. I sure hope so, all kidding aside. But I'll believe it when I see it. For example, Senator Rick Scott of Florida. That was good. Now we just need to get him to put this notion of 21st century secessionism to bed. God, he's a likable guy, though. Crosses himself. Promised I'd be good. Which maybe means that he there's a little devil Fred Flintstone on his on his shoulder going, no, 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 bust her ass. I'm going to be good. But maybe you don't even have to, you know, she's sort of self-parodying. Because she showed up today at a Homeland Security hearing because she's on <laughs> you know, the world we live in. She's on the Homeland Security Committee, this secessionist. 
and she showed up to grunt and bray and bark and whatnot. Over fentanyl. Now, I'm not making light of the fentanyl problem. But I feel pretty confident that I actually know more about the fentanyl problem than Marginal Trailer Queen. But then again, so do my cats. Most of the fentanyl that comes into the country is not brought in by Mexican drug smugglers crossing our porous open southern border. No. It's brought in on container ships from China. So in the midst of barking and grunting and braying and bleeding and rattling off a bunch of statistic thingies, Eric Swalwell of California took her to school. It was a lesson worth the time. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We have one job in the federal government, and that is to protect the United States of America, our national security, and all Americans, their life, their liberty, and their... I'm just going to point out that if she was uh, in a hearing like this in Missouri, she would probably be censured. Because she's, well, she's exercising her right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. Sleeveless top, y'all. Right. That 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 that'd get her busted, Jeff City. Pursuit of happiness, and since the Biden administration has taken over, there has been a direct result in the number of deaths in this country from fentanyl. I want you to know that in 2020 there were four point. A direct result. Is is a is is a ninth grader writing her script? A direct correlation? A direct connection? Never mind. Point eight thousand pounds of fentanyl seized by CBP, but in 2021, fiscal year 2021, it increased to 11.2 thousand pounds of fentanyl was seized by the CBP. That is a direct result of. Hey, uh, hold on. I know, I know I'm mathematically challenged, but I just want to double check here. From fentanyl. I want you to know that in 2020, there were 4.8 thousand pounds of fentanyl seized by CBP. But in 2021, fiscal year 2021, it increased to 11.2 thousand pounds of fentanyl was seized by the CBP. That is a direct result of Biden administration failure policies. Now, here we are in to date, to date, fiscal, fiscal year 2023, they have already received, or seized 12.5 thousand pounds of fentanyl. Slow down. The Biden Mark. administration is failing this country by not protecting our border and securing our border and stopping Chinese fentanyl from being brought into our country illegally by the cartels. Um, I know math is hard. But in 2020 under Nitwit Nero, if they got a little over two tons of fentanyl 
And then in 2021, they got five tons of fentanyl. That wasn't the nitwit near. And they've already gotten a shit ton more. Am I missing something? Oh, wait. Okay. Cowbell. Brother Deacon Ace pointing out. Totally false. Woody never reads the script. The script reads Woody. Okay. Is, 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 that, a, is that a variation on a Chuck Norris? Right. By the way, Brother Deacon Ace, you're going to love hearing this, but I just got a note from Dave number 11 telling me that uh, apparently the email the show widget thingy, whatever, is busted. So whatever it was that happened to the website earlier, other things happened. Ugh. Oh, well, let's keep feeding her rope. And people are dying every single day because of it. Fentanyl deaths have doubled, doubled between two years from April 2019 to April 2021. Those Double, double? Toil and trouble? Fentanyl deaths doubled from 32,754 to 64,178. This is a this is a complete failure. I want you to know it's affecting every single state in the country. In Georgia, Georgia, fentanyl deaths have double, gone double. up by Georgia, 230%. In rural northwest Georgia, my district, the 14th district, we are up 350%. Fentanyl does not discriminate on your skin color, your gender, your politics. Fentanyl kills everyone. It ki- fentanyl kills everyone. Everyone. Only it doesn't. It has a med- it has a medical usage, but don't stop her. She's on a roll. It kills police officers, first responders, and tragically Fentanyl is now the number one cause of death of young Americans ages 18 to 45. And this is un... I wonder if the check's going to clear because she holds up a sign here. It says, Fentanyl overdoses become number one cause of death among U.S. adults ages 18 to 45, a national emergency. The banner across the top, of course, reads Fox 5 Atlanta. She's waiting on her check, y'all. Forgivable. The Biden administration is responsible for this, and they have blood on their hands because they refuse to secure our border. I I guess it never dawned on her that maybe Customs and Border Protection has a hand in maybe some of those shipping container thingies and stuff. Right. Today we today we have a witness with us, Ms. Kiesling. I just want to tell you I'm so sorry from one mother to another for the death. Oh, she's a mother. So we we get we get we get that, and then uh, a little bit later, an intelligent person gets to talk. Amazing when that happens in this Congress. Well, from California. Uh, thank you, Chairman. 
Let's start with uh, Sheriff Lamb. Uh, thank you, sir, for your service uh, in a very hard and challenging part uh, of the country. And I've got two brothers who are deputy sheriffs. My dad was deputy sheriff, and it was a thankless job. Uh, and I guess I just want to ask, if, if you had 20,000 more Border Patrol agents surged across the southern border, would that make it easier or harder for you to do your job? Thank you, Mr. Swalwell, for the kind words as well and for your family service. Absolutely, 20,000 more Border Patrol agents would make all world a difference. I would love more deputies too. So yes, staffing does matter. And if you were able to have more technologies, uh, whether it's drone technologies, oh, you know where this sensor is going, technologies uh, to work with CBP to monitor and track the border, uh, would that also help? Yes, sir. We spent a lot of money on helicopter fuel. We spent a lot of resources there. Where I'm at, if I have a regular drone, I have to be with line of sight. Honestly, in my area, I need a drone that's a military-style drone that I can fly for 50 miles. So would love to have a drone. And do you agree that we need to crack down on any employer who hires an undocumented individual because by hiring somebody who's undocumented, it incentivizes uh, migration? I've heard a lot of talk about a lot of things, but I think we're underestimating the amount of lost tax revenue that goes on every year from all the people in the country illegally. We are all paying taxes, and we're footing the bill for a lot of things. There's a lot of lost tax revenue. I do agree that on some levels there should be some crackdowns, but we also need to balance that out with the amount of employment that is needed in this country. This is your job. This is what you guys are good at. And, uh, you know, and respectfully, I would say the last two years, one party had command of Congress, Senate, and the presidency, and could have passed an immigration bill and didn't do so. And now here we are again now back where both parties are split. So, Oh, dear. It's amazing the number of places where I hear this canard about the Democrats had control of the House and the Senate and the presidency. It's almost like they've never heard the name Joe Manchin. And this guy's from the Southwest. It's almost like he's never heard the name Kirsten Cinema. It's almost like he's never heard of 50 members of the Republican caucus. It's almost like he's never heard the name of Moscow Mitch McConnell. It's like he can't count to 60, which is the number of votes required to pass some kind of immigration reform. It was not Democrats in the House or Democrats in the Senate, okay, minus Cinema and Manchin, who kept that from happening. But let's cut dude some slack. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of help we could get. And, and, and you're right. In, in four years before that, another party had exactly what you described. And, and I don't want to disvalue the benefit of an immigrant workforce because my next point is that wouldn't you agree that having a legal immigration system uh, where people who go through the legal process go to the front of the line would be a preferred way uh, to adjudicate those who want to come to the United States, follow the rules, work, pay those taxes? 100% agree. I've lived in the Philippines. I've lived in Panama. I lived in Argentina. I agree that you have to create a common sense path to fill jobs, to give these people an opportunity. 
me along with every other law enforcement and all these people set up here, we want people to come here and make a better life. We just want them to follow the process. That's right. And, and, and what I just described to you was essentially uh, the 2014 uh, President Obama Republican deal in the Senate where 68 Republicans and Democrats agreed on the framework that I just laid out. And it's my hope that we can get back uh, to that. Because I agree with you. I think most Americans, they, they want to have a, a border that is safe and secure. They want to have you know, immigrants come to this country and, and work the jobs that uh, have a necessity to be filled. They want to make sure that there's uh, a background check and that the legal process are the ones that go to the front of the line. And, and it seems to be that, you know, the politics of this uh, overtakes uh, the solutions. Um, on the point of fentanyl, uh, Ms. Keeson, I, too, want to share my sympathy for you and your family, someone who knows people who have also died. Um, but I believe that the biggest culprit here, and I, I think the Republican colleagues of mine agree, uh, is really going after China. Uh, I, I think China has blood on its hands. I don't think President Biden has blood on his hands. I think China has blood on its hands for the fentanyl crisis, uh, because as a number of people have said, uh, overwhelmingly these fentanyl is coming through points of entry, and overwhelmingly, it's U.S. citizens. And the fentanyl, we know, is coming from over in China. And I, I think internationally, we should all work to apply more pressure on China uh, to account for what it's doing. Uh, and finally, I think Ms. Green is just divorced from reality when she Here it comes. wants to use the fentanyl seizures as a way to beat up on the president. Because, Sheriff Lamb, you said earlier today that you are literally saving the country with the number of people uh, that you have saved with those seizures. And, and where I come from, and my, my brothers make a big seizure that get guns and drugs off the streets, we don't use that to make a political point. We use that to give an attaboy, uh, you know, to the police officers uh, for what they did. And so I'm going to give y'all an attaboy uh, for what you've done, and, and thank you because you've taken a lot of fentanyl off the streets and you've made us a lot safer uh, because you've done it. Yield back. Thank you, Mr. Swalwell. Divorce, that was cold. That was ice-freaking cold, y'all. Representative Green is divorced from reality. Eric Swalwell's a smart guy. Probably pretty quick on his feet, too. But I got to think he's had that one in his hip pocket for a while. Yeah, Marge is divorced from reality. Uh, Lee in New York says, are you missing something? Yes, Robin, you are missing something. Marge has no math ability. I, I think we're... Uh, Getting head on dot lives. E uh, email back up. Yes, Brother Deacon Asa, I am getting emails now, so thank you. So that's the program. We ended titanically, didn't we? Huh. <sighs> Math is hard, Marge. Math is hard. 
Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thanks to all of you for getting us to February fully funded. The program continues into March, thanks to you. Thank you so much. Thanks to uh, our a la carte contributors. Thanks for making it possible for this to have been a fundraising-free program. Thank you. Thanks to each and every one of you who share your precious finite time engaging in the program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks to our news ninjas. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you, Roger, in Oregon, in the chat room. I don't know if anybody else came along. Nope. Thanks, Roger. Much obliged. Love the call, Theo. Great to hear from you. Thanks, Dave and the Blind. Always good to hear from you. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa. You've been uh, extra special busy this evening. Head on dot live. Remember, like and subscribe, y'all. Please. Over on TuneIn. Uh, whomp that heart button and say that you like the player, leave a comment. Comments are fun. They don't take any time. They're free. They're easy. Just say hi. Thanks, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest working, bravest people I know, the folks at Cold River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net, 20-plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia at a proud union shop. Please stay safe. Get your booster, get your flu shot, wipe down your surfaces. Spring is only three weeks away. Eee. Wear your masks. The maggots are still out there and they're still viral. People are still testing positive. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Use your hand sanitizer. Keep it handy. Pocket or purse. There's never anybody in the studio except Annette and me and occasionally Ferg and, the, and, and well, you know, cats. But even here, hear that? I got a little pump bottle of liquid hand sanitizer. Maintain your social distance 15 to 20 feet like Paul from Parts Unknown says. And, of course, if somebody comes babbling towards you down the street saying, math is hard, fentanyl, bad, Joe Biden, bad, math hard. Well, avoid the human spork like the plague. Because she is. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Later. <laughs>